Hey everybody, it's Paula, La Bruja Galactica. I'm coming to you today with my first episode on this podcast. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about myself today and what we're going to be talking about on future episodes. Uh, we're going to be having a lot of guests eventually talking about different social justice issues, racial justice issues, environmental issues, um, and another variety of topics like art, street art, food, science, astrology, magic. We're going to cover it all. Um, But today, yeah, I'm going to talk about myself and I'll just jump right in. My name is Paula Mary. I created uh, Mary Holistics two years ago. It's a company that's focusing on holistic health and well-being for women of color. Um, But not only for women of color, just focused towards women of color because I am a woman of color and I feel like we need more education for women like us on how to treat our bodies and what to put in and on our bodies. Um... There's a lot of toxic stuff out there, and I really saw an importance there. And I really wanted to get the word out and and just share all my knowledge um, on staying healthy and keeping our bodies clean. Um, Let's go back to the beginning. My mom was born in Chile, in Santiago. Uh, 1962 Um, she left at 10 years old no 9 she got to no 8 my bad I had this written down (laughs) she she went to the United States at 8 years old um, with her parents she was an only child so just her my grandma and grandpa they went to New York um she lived there most of her life until she moved to Florida with me later on. So my mom's basically a New Yorker. Um, <clears throat> she went to school, went to high school out there in uh, in Queens. She met my father in Queens. <clears throat> he went there. He went to Queens at age fifteen from here in Santiago and they met soon after my dad was about 15 years old when they met Um, from what I've been told uh, he was pretty close to my mom and my grandparents my grandfather at nine he wasn't living there yet Um, my abuelita Miriam took the three boys my dad and his two brothers and uh, settled in the United States. And then my tata Hernan came afterwards, which now that I think of it, in retrospect, that's pretty dope. My abuelita was like the brave one, and she was the one who went first, whereas in my mom's family, my grandfather went first, and then my mom and my my nana Rosa, they went uh, to New York after him. So... 
I'll get more into that, but my abuelita Miriam is pretty badass, and I'll probably have like an entire episode dedicated to her, and probably invite her to come on the show uh, soon. She's like my new best friend, and uh, recently we've just become very close, and she's somebody that I really respect and admire as a woman, and also as her granddaughter. Um, <clears throat> so my parents met. My dad was 15. My mom was 16. They're both cancers. Their birthdays are freaking three days apart. Yes, that's very strange. Yes, I've grown up with crazy cancer parents my whole life. Also, um, they were all part of a big group of Chilean people. Um, I mean, like 30 of them. And they all knew each other. And we all, so then when they all had kids, we all ended up growing up around each other and um it was pretty dope growing up in a community of Chilean people I don't remember hanging out with any other kind of people my whole fucking life until my mom and my dad got divorced and uh she started seeing a Puerto Rican dude and and that's when I started learning about other cultures and I think that's when my love of other cultures and other food really, really started blossoming. And that was a really dope, a dope thing for me in, in my life because it taught me how to appreciate um, everything else and not just be scared not be scared of trying new things or people from different places. And I was five at that time. <laughs> my mom and my dad got divorced when I was five. Um, <clears throat> so I don't remember that, by the way. We can touch on that for a second. My mom and my dad got divorced, and I don't remember. I don't remember. I, I, I mean, I remember we moved out of the big house, and we went to the apartment, and my dad stayed in the big house. Um, I just remember everything, everything is in spurts in my mind. I remember an altercation in the big house and my grandparents showing up. My dad slapped my mom in the face. And that's all I remember of that. And then fast forward, I just see myself in the apartment <clears throat> with my mom. And my dad would come see me every other weekend and sometimes he'd forget or he just had other shit to do. So I wouldn't see my dad every other weekend. Sometimes it was just once a month. But in those days, I don't really, I don't remember. Time construct is a, is a tricky thing. And I just remember being sad sometimes. Not that my dad didn't want to see me or that I thought he didn't want to see me. But in retrospect, you know, they had a really, really rough divorce. And I'm sure it was hard. For him to see me and get reminded of my mom all the time. I don't really know. That's just speculation. Maybe he just was young. My parents were, what, uh, 20? He was, like, 26. He was, like, 26, 27 when they got divorced. So, I mean, a young dude. Young dude just wanted to do his thing, I guess. On the streets of New York. Um, <laughs> he, I, do, I remember the, the next scene in my mind is meeting uh, his new wife, who I call my Tia Vero, because she's a marvelous human being, and I love her very much, and I've 
was scared to meet her because I watched Cinderella too many times and I thought she was going to be the evil stepmother, but she wasn't. She was really, really wonderful to me and was somebody that I always, always remember my whole entire life, um, like really appreciating my intelligence and just like being in awe of my intelligence uh, at such a young age, you know, at six years old. Um, and I just, I, I, I remember that being an attribute that I was really proud of and that like my, my family would really, uh, talk about that a lot and like kind of show off, uh, about me and my test scores and like how advanced I was. Um, I was reading at a college level when I was in third grade. I was reading college textbooks and my teacher would give me college textbooks and I could read and comprehend them easily. Um. And that really fed into my love of reading, which I became a bookworm really, really, really young. Um, I mean, a hardcore bookworm. By the time I was 10 years old, I had more than 80 books in my bookshelf. Um, every single time that I got money, all I wanted to do was go to Barnes & Nobles. I went to Barnes & Nobles like that show was Toys R Us. And when my family used to take me to Toys R Us, when I started getting older, I... I stopped buying toys and I just wanted to buy like stuff to write with and like pretty little stationaries for Lisa Frank and stickers and art stuff. Um, <clears throat> when I was a little girl, after my parents got divorced, um, sometimes I would go to my abuelita's house and I would meet my cousins, my cousin Carlos, his parents got divorced around the same time. And my his mom and my mom were really good friends, and they stayed friends for many years. So they would take us over there at the same time, <clears throat> and we'd sleep over at Abuelita's house. And I got to um, be exposed to so much beautiful things with my grandma, because she is a painter. She's a writer. She's a storyteller. She's a chef. You know what I mean? And so, like, I mean, when I say chef, she's not a professional chef, but she might as well be because her food knowledge and her palate is freaking extraordinary, like, next level. And that's obviously where I got my gift from. I'm 100% sure of it. Um, so over there, uh, we used to play, and she used to teach us how to paint and do all, and all kinds of other art activities and... We used to play in her garden. It was always me and my cousin Carlos, and sometimes my our other cousins would come visit. Um, but for many years, it was just me and him, and we would play in the backyard. And then on Sundays, I thought that none he would take us to the corner store and let us buy these like card like collectors, like cards that we collected. <coughs> Excuse me, and I liked. The X-Men. That was my favorite. They've always been my favorite. And I kind of collected these X-Men uh, trading cards. And I have that memory so stuck in my mind of my grandfather being just a sweet, kind man. Um, he's one of my he's one of my ancestors that I connect with the most. I lost him when I was eight or nine. Eight, eight, I was definitely eight, and um, I didn't know how to process his death at first, and it was really, really hard for me, and it was the first death that I had experienced in my life, um, and because of that, I never, 
I never stopped talking to him. And I didn't realize until way later in my life, like like a few years ago, that I spoke to him and he spoke back. And he, uh, he's been taking care of me and looking out for me ever since. And now that I'm more in touch with my spirituality and I meditate, I get more clear messages from him. and And he helps me energetically through a lot of a lot of um tough times in my life and uh I love him I still love him and he's still a big part of my life and even though uh my family on this side on my dad's side uh my uncles and my dad they uh they were really close to their dad I think they loved him a lot they're just not spiritual people, so I can't talk about this kind of stuff with them. But I do talk about it with my abuelita, and I think it makes her happy that I have this connection with my grandfather still after all these years. You know, it's been more than 20 years, and I still talk to him almost every day. And I light candles for him every day, and yeah, I do ofrendas for my grandpa because... He's somebody that's really still part of my life. Um, enough of that sad stuff. I guess we could skip ahead to uh, when my mom moved us. My mom started moving me back and forth to South Florida. Something that I really despised about my mother my whole entire life until I started realizing a couple of years ago that culturally I am so well-rounded because of that that I fight for racial justice issues for social justice issues because of that because I grew up around I grew up in the melting pot I mean I mean being a New Yorker is one thing because I feel like in New York you kind of I don't know people kind of segregate themselves in a way um I mean you go to school with all kinds of people but in the hood either you're in a and back in the day, you were either in a Latinx hood or you were in the black hood or you were in the Indian hood or in the Chinese hood. I mean, you, you were pretty much staying within your own race or class caste system. But in South Florida, <laughs> no, in South Florida, everybody's mixed and everybody is chilling and everybody learns about each other and eats each other's food and gets to go to each other's houses and meet each other's families and and I learned so much about Caribbean and West Indian culture um being a a South Floridian I grew up eating Cuban food, Haitian food, Puerto Rican, Dominican, Cuban food. All of my friends were from the islands. I had no other kinds of friends. There were no Chilean people. There was one there was one girl that I met in th- third or fourth grade. No, fourth grade. Muriel. And she's still <laughs> she's still one of my best friends. And we became best friends in fourth grade because she was literally the only other Chilean people, person I ever met in my whole life. So uh, we became really good friends. But before that, it was it was just, it was all Caribbean people that I loved hanging out with and uh, going to their houses on the weekends and their families made me part of their families <clears throat> for all of like fourth and fifth grade. 
I was every single weekend at my best friend Vanessa's house and Vanessa's grandmother was Dominican and Cuban and her grandpa was Cuban and Puerto Rican. Uh, so she was Dominican, Puerto Rican, and Cuban, <laughs> a pretty dope mix. And so we just, I mean, the food in that house was amazing, amazing. And, and they just took me under, they took me into their family. Like I was there on, they love to have me there and I love to be there. And, and that's where I learned a lot about those three cultures. And then later in life, <coughs> when I started going into middle school, um, I met Loga, my best friend, um, Christy, and we met, we, it was a crazy meeting, it was a, a destined meeting, the stars aligned for that meeting, uh, my mother took me, I, I begged my mother for an entire year to take me out of the, Our Lady Queen of Martyrs, this Catholic school that she had put me in, that I, I despised, I loathed, uh, I didn't, I was, I've, I relinquished the Catholic religion at age four, five, no, five. I, I, I never got, I never did my first communion <clears throat> or anything else like that. I, I wasn't, I wasn't about going to Sunday school. I thought it was a waste of time and I just didn't buy it. I didn't, I didn't buy it at all from, from that age. I didn't buy it. So by the time I was like 12, 13 and she put me in Catholic school and I was being, uh, you know, religion, this Catholic religion was being imposed upon me at that age. I, I rebelled and I, I hated it. You know, I had no respect either. Like now I have respect for all religions, but at that age I did not fathom having any type of respect for the Catholic religion, because I thought, I'd, and, and at those at that time, I just thought it was ridiculous, and I hated it. So my mom finally let me leave that school, and we went to uh, a public school called Seminole in Plantation, Florida. And on the same day that my mom took me out of that school and took me to Seminole to take a placement test, Loca's mother took her out of St. Gregory, another Catholic school, and brought her to Seminole Middle. And they put us in the same room to take a placement test. It was just me and her. So, of course, you know, we started talking, break the ice, we started talking, boom, freaking best friends, okay? <laughs> From that day on, uh, until now, until this day, Loca is my best friend. And she introduced me to Linda. And Lauren, I think she goes by Lauren now, and, uh, who she's also still one of my really, really good friends, and we're 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 all we're we're always in touch. We're always in touch, and and I feel blessed that I still have these people in my life after so many years. And for many, many years, it was the three of us: me, Loca, and Lauren. Every motherfucking place. And we were famous. <laughs> we were we were pretty famous. We everybody knew about us. Everybody, every group of dudes wanted to hang out with us and we were some bad little bitches. And we started going clubbing at fourteen, fifteen years old and then we ran that shit. We used to walk in and, and the DJ would call our names out like, Yo, Bebas in the house Okay, we were we were some crunk ass little girls and we used to dance and 
shit. We we used to do everything, man. We we had a great time. I had a very fulfilled childhood and teenagerdom. We I did everything. I did everything I ever wanted to do. I I had no limits because after my stepdad died, my mom she lost the reins. She let go of the reins a bit and, you know, obviously she was traumatized and that was a really, really hard time for my mom. And of course, being the asshole teenager that I was, instead of, you know, calming down and taking care of her, I did the exact opposite and did whatever the fuck I wanted. <laughs> and I did. And it got me into a lot of fucking trouble and <clears throat> trigger warning, uh, abuse, rape, trigger warning, um, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna dedicate an entire episode to sexual assault and rape, but it is part of my story, so it's necessary to share it. I have, I was in an abusive relationship when I was 15 years old. Um, the dude stalked me after I broke up with him. We broke up many times. He was extremely abusive during, like, the whole time that we were together. He beat the shit out of me to drag me by my hair down the fucking street and I had nobody really like looking out for me because my mom was on medication because she was very depressed probably about to kill herself and her my little brother was one years old he was a baby and my grandparents lived far away in Boca Raton and we were in Fort Lauderdale and I did whatever the fuck I wanted so um I was pretty much alone um Fending for myself, and this dude, he was a predator, and so he preyed on me and just took advantage in every way he could. And then at one point, um, he sliced my arm open, like all the way to the bone, with a box cutter, and he went to jail. But he convinced me and his friends convinced me to sign a paper so that I said that it was an accident. And I did. I signed the paper and he got out. And then I don't remember how many months later, if it was like a year later, that uh, he raped me. And I was 15. I was 15 years old and he raped me and I ended up... uh, having getting pregnant I got pregnant and I didn't know what was going on obviously with my own body and by the time we found out I was like fucking eight months pregnant and yeah I know it sounds ridiculous it was like that show like I didn't know I was pregnant yeah it was just like that thank god the baby didn't come out in the toilet but yeah like I really didn't know that I was pregnant and I was 15 when I gave birth I couldn't have an abortion obviously at eight months so I had to give birth and I did and I was 15 and uh, I gave that baby up for adoption because there was just I don't know there was no in my mind I there was nothing else that I could really do at that time so we found the best family that I could through an adoption agency and and now that bo- that baby is a grown up and he's 17 years old and i have been in contact with his mother 
and he's doing good they're good he's healthy he's happy he has a really nice life he has brothers and sisters and a mom and a dad that love him and they're all doing really well so out of something really shitty out of a really fucking shitty situation occurrence that happened in my life this boy got a chance to be happy and this mother got a chance to have a baby boy that she wanted and and so they're um they're really happy and I'm so I'm happy that they're happy and um after that happened I tried to press charges on him for rape and uh, that trial or whatever the fuck you would call it was probably the most traumatizing one of the most traumatizing things that ever happened I'm pretty sure being up on that podium on that chair whatever um, and having his lawyer cross-examine me and like pretty much batter me on the stand uh was probably more torturous and traumatizing than the actual rape um because he was just hardcore and didn't give a fuck that i was a victim it didn't matter um and he ended up getting free a little bit after that he went to jail but then he ended up getting out anyway uh fuck that nigga and uh I just wanted to talk about that because it's part of my story. It's a big part of my story and the way that we handle traumas in our life and later dissect them uh, can really determine how we process future traumas. And that's why... I talk about it when I need to and I get it out of me when I need to because I, if, if something ever happened like that again in my life anything really terrible happened I would want to be able to to process it properly I didn't I don't think I processed it properly when it happened to me for many many years later like maybe fucking 10 years later I, I, I didn't talk about it I didn't tell I didn't really tell anybody in my family it was a big, it's still a fucking day. I ain't a secret no more because I'm doing a podcast about it. But it was definitely, has been a secret. And I don't talk about it with my dad or with anybody from that side of the family. Um, but if we don't talk about things like this, then we're doomed to repeat the same mistakes. And I don't want to commit those same mistakes that my mom did with my daughters. I want to be present and I want to be aware and I want to be there every single day and make sure that they're safe. And I want to be able to see if if there's any predators, you know, focusing on my daughters. And, and to do that, I have to process my own trauma so that I can be aware of of what's going on around my little girls because I feel like it's definitely my job to protect my daughters always and oh, all my kids right my my son and my two daughters they're 
everything to me and I want to make sure that they grow up to be healthy well-rounded individuals psychologically physically emotionally just good I want them to be good I just want them to be okay and so I did that let's see after after all of that shit happened, uh, we moved to New York. Pretty much, pretty. I don't really remember when, but I, like pretty much, I dropped out of school. I dropped out of school when I was sixteen. No, I was fifteen. It's fifteen or sixteen. Basically, right after that happened, I wasn't trying to go back to school after, that. and I didn't. I, I left school and I failed ninth grade because I was pregnant in ninth grade. I failed ninth grade and. Uh, and I didn't want to go back to ninth grade. So I was like, fuck this shit. I took the GED test. I passed it right away. Like I said, I would. And without studying or anything. And I got my GED and I was like, fuck it. And I went to, I went to New York with my mom. And we started living in Valley Stream in Long Island. And then, um, I started working. I started working right away with my uncles, and um, <clears throat> working with my uncles and my dad, but my dad was in Chile, because my dad moved to Chile when I was in fifth grade, he moved to Chile when I was fifth grade, er, pardon me, my dad moved to Chile when he was in, when I was in fifth grade. <clears throat> and he had my sister Victoria here in Chile. Um, my sister Rita was born in New York, so I got time with her, and we we bond. You know, I create. I had a bond with my Rita because when she was born, I was around, and we were together until she until they moved to until they moved to Chile. So he had my sister here in Chile. And then <clears throat> I would travel back and forth to visit him uh, throughout my life, pretty much. He would, he would always, you know, send tickets or whatever for me to fly by myself to Chile to go see him. And in one of those instances, uh, I think I was in, I think it was like at the end of fifth grade or the beginning of sixth grade when I found out that my dad was getting divorced again and I <clears throat> I was really sad and I was really disappointed in him because I didn't want my sisters to go through all the same shit that I went through but they didn't and they grew up to be really really amazing incredible young women and I'm so fucking proud of them and um, my dad and my tia Vero they did a really good job on my sisters and I'm, they're just, it's not just that they're good girls and that they don't get in trouble like how I got in trouble and it's not that, it's, it's not that they never got pregnant or that they don't fucking drink or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, all of those things too, but also they're good human beings. Like they're, they're really good people. They're, they give a shit about their families. They have really warm hearts and they're just they're just beautiful inside and out and and I'm so so proud of of how they turned out and that and that now my that they get to be a part of my kids life and be like really good examples to my children and that 
and that's really beautiful to me and I love it and I love my sister so much and that's why I was so sad when their parents got when my dad and their mom got divorced because I just wanted them to be happy so that was another traumatizing incident in my life when my dad got divorced for the second time um <clears throat> so I was working for my dad and my uncles in Brooklyn uh, what is now what you would call Williamsburg on Flushing and Wyckoff um, my family owned that block and a part of that block and uh, we used to do structural steel and rolling gates and all that kind of shit and I, that's where I grew up. I mean, I grew up around a bunch of dirty dudes uh, being gross and hitting on me from age 15 all the way up until 20-something years old, I think. Um, so I ended up, you know, just being a little asshole all the time and, like, taking advantage of the fact that my my family owned the business and I would, you know, I don't know, come in late or something and... Or just come in and take a nap. Because <laughs> I was partying all night. And uh, it took me a long time to learn how to work. And eventually I did. And eventually I did learn a lot of responsibilities there. And how to be on time and be responsible. And be diligent. And I think that that translated a lot into my profession when I started cooking because my uncles would scream at me and uh, make me cry so <clears throat> when I got in the kitchen and chef started screaming at me I didn't cry and I was never late I was always early I was always one of the first ones in the kitchen and one of the last ones out and I never cried in the kitchen. I still have never cried in a kitchen and I can't say the same for many chefs that I know because we used to take abuse, man. I've had French chefs like literally throw plates at me and <laughs> throw plates at me, scream at me. You know, I've had so many chefs just that were just screamers, fucking screaming the whole fucking time through the entire service, dinner service, you know? So, um, I think that all my experience at Mary Gates, my experience working with them really helped me and formed who I was as a professional in my adult life. And I'm now I'm a hard worker. When I work, I'm a hard worker and I get the job done and I'm organized and yeah, I just, I get my shit done. Um, when... When did I leave? At some point... What the fuck? When did I leave? Oh, yeah. I I started doing mad coke. And I started I started hanging out with Russians. And, and I moved out from my house. And I lived with the Russians. Who... Um, they were my really good friends. And at that time, it was um, George. George Nektolov. He was my best friend. And um, I was kind of seeing his brother... But we were friends too, whatever, we're all friends. But but George was my best friend. And we hung out every single fucking day. And, uh, I don't know, my mom kicked me out of my house. Because I was being an asshole. 
and uh, I wasn't helping her with shit probably I was just I would work and like go to my friend's house and then maybe sleep at her house but mostly sleep at my friend's houses and whatever she got tired of that shit I was like 16 or 17 and um so <clears throat> so George asked me to go live with them or invited me to go live with them and I did and I lived there for uh, probably like six months with uh George Aron Yuri and then their little brothers Daniel and Emic and their mom in an apartment in Lefrak City a big ass apartment we were not like all living in one room or anything we it was a big ass apartment but they opened their home to me and um Gala their mom she was fucking awesome and uh another woman that I really looked up to and respected um in my life cuz she she raised those savages those five boys by herself and she's amazing strong woman worked worked like six days a week like fucking 13 hours a day hardcore hardcore so i used to i used to help her and um i used to help her cook and i used to help buy groceries and i would give her money and stuff like for bills because because i respected her so much and uh she was just a dope-ass lady who who ended up raising five kids, man, all by herself. So we all started doing drugs, uh, a lot of drugs, and mostly coke and um, what other kind of drug? We did probably ecstasy, uh, whatever. But then we went through a coke stint, and uh, I was doing blow for like oh, a month straight, and we got arrested, not for blow, we got arrested for weed. Uh, we were driving around Jamaica, Ave, just a bunch of us, and we had a bunch of weed on us. So we got arrested, <clears throat> literally eight of us got arrested together, put in a paddy wagon, and uh, got taken to Central Bookings and spent the night in jail. And when I got out, <clears throat> my dad happened to be there uh, in the United States, visiting at the time, lucky me. And my dad got me out. He paid for the lawyer to expunge it off my record, and not that it fucking mattered because I really didn't get charged anything with anything. <clears throat> my boy George, he fucking took it for everybody, and like the rest of us, we, none of us really got in trouble. I think some people got community service, but um, my dad offered me to go to Chile. Uh, if I wanted to go live there and, you know, that it might be better for me to like not be like in that environment anymore or whatever. And I actually made a rational decision and said, you know what, you're right. I'm going to, I'm going to remove myself from this environment because it's not healthy. And I made a very adult decision to leave the United States and move to Chile. Um, but <laughs> when I got here. I wanted to go, I, I wanted to go to culinary school. I mean, I guess I already had that in my head that I wanted to do that. But my dad was like, nah. So he made me do like business culinary kind of thing. Like culinary arts, but business. Like how to run a restaurant, right? So it was a lot of numbers and uh, statistics and shit. And it was all in Spanish and I didn't understand anything. I mean, I understood Spanish, but like. I never went to school here, so I couldn't really read and write well in Spanish. Um, I understood maybe like 80% of what everybody was saying, 
and like because Chilean people talk really weird too and since I had never lived here I didn't understand them when they when they would talk because I like I spoke like a Dominican or a Puerto Rican or a Cuban I didn't speak Chilean so so that was really rough at first and um when I got here Probably a few weeks into, like, college life. I went to the Universidad de las Americas. And uh, one of my boys, they found me. Like, some one of my homeboys uh, heard me speaking English. And they just came up to me and started talking to me. And I was like, oh, shit, that's what's up. Y'all got weed? And that's how we linked. That's how we made friends. Because um, I was looking for trees. And, and I had no connects. You know what I'm saying? Like, one of my really good my my fucking cousins who was like my favorite cousin still is my favorite cousin Tati she uh you know she hooked me up when she could but that wasn't all the time and she didn't go to the same school as me she went to a different school and was like way ahead of me in school and and was like going to like she's a fucking engineer you know what I'm saying and I'm like going to school for some dumb shit that I didn't even give a shit about at that point so I just skipped class all the fucking time <laughs> like I never fucking went to class like the, my teachers didn't even know me when they like I think I went to class one time and the teachers were like literally like who are you you don't belong here <laughs> but um I made the most incredible group of friends. Nico introduced me to Gonzalo. Gonzalo introduced me to Chris. They introduced me to Pato and Jorge and Lorena. And they were our, my, like, my family, bro. Like, we went everywhere. We did everything together. And we were always chilling and partying. And they were, like, good kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, totally different from, like, my friends in the United States who were always, like, trying to, like, do scams and, like... I don't know, man. I guess because, like, in the United States, you're so pressed, bro. You're so pressed by society to, like, do something, to make money, to survive. And in Chile, when you're that age, your parents take care of you, bro. Like, the economy, I don't know what the fuck it is. The government or something here, they just, it's like, it's made for that. For, like, people to make enough money that they can take care of their kids to a certain age. And they do. And so you're not pressured, like, you don't feel that pressure here that you feel in the United States to survive. So instead of, like, living in survival mode, like I was in the United States, I came and I was chilling. Like, literally, I was just chilling most of the time and having a really good time with my friends. And they were all good kids, and we never really got in trouble. They never really, we never really got in trouble with them. They were all just really healthy healthy nice kids and they're still my friends to this day we're all still really like we all still keep in touch and the ones who are here right now in chile like i see them and i love them and i've always been blessed with really really good people in my life and people that love me and take care of me um in the midst of having a good time and partying here, I met my son's father, Felipe. And uh, we had a, an interesting relationship because we were really, it was really amicable, I guess. And we were mostly like friends. Like, we were, we, I don't know, we were never like very romantic with each other or anything. We just used to hang out a lot. And uh, I ended up getting pregnant because I'm an idiot. And. I, I was, we were not using protection, and so I got pregnant, and 
my dad wanted me to have an abortion, but I decided that I wasn't going to do that. And so I got married to him in the hopes that he would come to the United States because I was convinced that I needed to have Christopher in the United States. And so I traveled to New York. My mom helped me out a lot and uh, she took me to all my appointments and she was there when the baby was born. And um, I was in labor for... 18 hours <clears throat> I was in labor for 18 hours and I I knew that I wasn't going to let them give me drugs I didn't want anything I didn't even want a fucking Tylenol PM that they were trying to push on me because they wanted me to sleep and I just I just said no bitch no 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 but out of my own ignorance I allowed them to give me Pitocin because they were like, oh, it's just a little bit. It'll spit a little induce you. And so you can have the baby faster. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck Pitocin is, but okay. Because all the doctors and the nurses were like, you need this. You need this. Okay, fine. So they gave me Pitocin. And my contractions started coming on top of each other. And I literally thought I was going to fucking die. Uh, and it was it was the most traumatic horrible fucking birth that I could have ever imagined for myself and in comparison to my uh, my daughter's birth both of my daughter's births um obviously being more educated and way later in my life uh it was it was it was torture they might as well have been torturing me um but I held strong and I refused to have uh any other any other medication given to me I refused the epidural and I refused the the shit that they put in the fucking IV to fucking get you high. So I was like, nah, I'm good. And I gave birth to a beautiful little boy, my little Christopher. And he was born at 419 in the afternoon. A Capricorn. My Capricorn boy. And Christopher was my sunshine. From that day on, uh, my life revolved around my son. And we did everything together. We went everywhere together. And uh, I took him to meet his birth father when he was one years old. I brought him here to Chile to meet uh, his paternal grandmother and his biological father. And uh, the dude was just, you know, he was not ready to be a dad. And no. So, yeah, no. He was just not ready. So, I, we couldn't stay. <laughs> we couldn't stay to do that because he was not ready. And he was kind of being a little bit abusive towards me. And since I was already traumatized by my previous experiences with abusive men, I wasn't having that shit. And I was like, all right, bye. I got to go. And I bounced. And we went back to the United States with Chris and I started cooking. I started cooking and I met Alex, um, one of the greatest chefs I've ever met. And my, one of my best friends who's in Australia right now doing the goddamn thing, motherfucking cooking it up. Okay. She opened my fucking eyes to a whole other world. Like uh, everything natural. She's from Hawaii and... Opened me up to that culture, to her Hawaiian lineage and her culture, to Chinese culture because she's Chinese on her mother's side. And um, 
she taught me so much, dude. She was such a big influence in my fucking life, especially in my cooking life. And she's still the best chef I've ever met. And I've worked with some of the most famous chefs in the world, and she's still the best. She has the most soul. And her soul, it infuses into her food. And so, <clears throat> Alex... And me, we cooked together in many different restaurants for a while, while I was going to school. I was going to school and I had two jobs at one point, plus going to school full time. I literally slept like two hours a day. I did not see my son during that year. I saw him on the weekends. Um, my grandparents helped me out with him. He, We lived with my grandparents and he stayed with them. And, um, and if it wasn't for them, I would have never finished culinary school. And then once I graduated culinary school, um, I decided to go to New York. So me and Chris, we left. We went to New York. Uh, we stayed with my mom for a little while, and I started working at Pearl Oyster Bar. And uh, that's where I met Rebecca Charles, the second best chef I've ever met in my life. Um, she's one of my biggest mentors, aside from Alex. And I learned another great deal of of things about life and cooking from Rebecca because she's a lot older and wiser and her restaurant is still extremely successful and has been since probably the day she opened um she took me under her wing man and and I will never be able to show the gratitude that I have inside my heart for that. And as she took me under her wing, um, I I learned so much there and I moved up and I moved from, you know, the cold side to the hot side and I learned how to really fucking cook, like cook for real, like, I mean, really cook, bro. And next to me, the person who was teaching me was Silvano, my ex-husband. And... We we became really good friends, and he taught me so much about food and Mexican culture. Uh, he's from Acapulco, and um, we got together, and we fell for each other, fell in love, and I got pregnant with Amaya Bella, with my princess, my, my oldest daughter. Um was going to be born in New York, but we decided that, well, I decided that I didn't want to work in New York anymore because it was just, it was really rough on the pregnancy, and I didn't get out of work till like 2, 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning sometimes, and I used to have to take the subway. It was just, it was horrible. It was the summertime when I was like still getting sick, like getting uh, nauseous and stuff, and um, so I was like, fuck that shit, bro. So I went to Florida and I stayed with my grandparents during the rest of the pregnancy. And um, I wanted to give, uh, I wanted to have a natural birth. So we planned it out. And one of my best friends, Allison, um, she's still my good friend. She was like my birth partner. And uh, she really, really helped me through that birth. And I had a really, really... A beautiful experience giving birth to my daughter uh, it was in Boca Raton in a hospital and it was a it was a completely natural birth and it was magical it was it was 
I that's when I realized that um, there's something wrong in society. And I think that is what, that literally, that experience made me open my eyes. And I, I'm pretty sure that I, like, jumped a timeline or something. I, I, I don't know. But, like, it was, it was, ex, it was extra dimensional, the experience and the euphoria that I felt when she came out and, like, how high I literally, I was literally high. I felt like I had taken 20 hits of acid and fucking 15 ecstasies and, fucking peyote and I was I was literally the highest I've ever felt in my life when I gave birth to Amaya and like something transcended there and a fucking switch went off in my head and that's when I started getting into political movements social justice movements racial justice movements and uh getting more educated about what the fuck we're putting in 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 our bodies what we're eating um the products, the chemicals that are around us at all fucking times, um, and and like the government, that that that's when I started seeing like these these motherfuckers they lie, like I I don't know if I trusted the government my whole life and then when like it all like started making sense and all the pieces came together the world came crashing down and I was like oh my god, you know I, my whole life I was raised in this ridiculous patriotic ideology because my uncle and my dad are like America yeah USA and and they stuck that shit into my head I mean so profusely that I that I was like I mean a hardcore bro like I was a little girl and I would like fight with my uncle at like eight years old when I would come visit to Chile I would fight with my uncles about how like no the United States is like the best country and blah 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 and they were trying to tell me about the coup d'etat here in Chile, and when they, when the fucking CIA came and they murdered Allende, and I would be like, no, that's a lie, blah, 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 and like, fucking fighting, bro, I was like eight years old, you know what I'm saying, so my whole life, like, I really, really believed in the United States of America, and then when I found out that the birthing process for women had been distorted into this horrible medical industry and how doctors just want to make fucking money off of you and how they don't give a fuck about mothers and their babies and they it's just about money and numbers and getting them in and out in and out of the hospital as quickly as possible and and giving them drugs that is bad for their bodies that's really what just like broke the mold for me and and just opened up my mind and I was like shocked I was literally I don't even know how long it took me to process all of that but once I did process it I knew what my goal was and what I needed to do and I really have made it my mission since then to just open people's minds and share knowledge share what I'm learning and and break down like all of these old ideas that we need to trust our all of we need to trust our governments not just the united states governments all the fucking governments of the world are corrupt and and how we there's no reason to trust them they've they've have not given us any reason to trust them no governments and in the fucking world have given their citizens a reason to trust them they're all on some grimy shit so that's what i've been doing like 
just educating myself on the history of, of the history of my own country, the history of Chile, and, and I'm still learning so much about Chilean history. I really don't know shit, and and right now, all I want to do is expand knowledge and share the knowledge as I'm learning it and talk about the things that I'm like that I really well read on and educated on, which is holistic health. What is holistic health? It's it's looking at the whole picture. It's looking at the whole human, not just not just one aspect. Like for you to to have complete health, your mind, your body, and your spirit have to be connected and have to be in tune with each other, and. I think that that's just one of the most important things that women could do to liberate themselves in this era. We're still living in patriarchal times. We're st- our, our, everything is still controlled by men. But what we can do as a resistance is control our own bodies and not let anybody else dictate what we do with our bodies, what we put in our bodies and in our minds and in our spirits. I think that is is something that's so revolutionary and that's why I really really believe in in holistic health and that's why I started Mary Holistics and that's why I am starting this blog and this podcast and for me this podcast is going to be like a signal you know like a mayday signal that I'm sending out into the universe and I hope that some people hear it and I hope some people respond and I really really want this podcast to bring women together women of color especially um, and give them a voice because we're being censored so much to the point that it's really fucking scary and we have to fight back because they can't they can't win anymore we can't let them win anymore we have to keep fighting we have to keep resisting and the only way to keep fighting and resisting is voicing our feelings, our thoughts, and and talking about our experiences. And and that's what this podcast is about. And I hope that everybody enjoyed this first episode. There's going to be a lot more to come. I love you. I'm sending warm orange light to everybody listening to this. And, and And I just want everybody to feel the love that's coming from my heart for you. Peace out.